welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters. I am here. I'm your host, Christopher, as usual. And as usual, again, I'm sorry, I'm a little all flustered today, and we'll get into that later. <laughs> but with me is Tom. How you doing, Tom? Good. Apparently, maybe a little better than you. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I haven't quite uh, got everything. Uh, my, I, I had my ducks in a row, and now they've all scattered, and I'm trying to put them all back together here. It's they've quacked up today's opening of the show instead rather than any uh, news or, or general discussion or anything I actually want to go back a couple episodes to when we reviewed the uh, collection of short films the battle in space the armada attacks you know we liked um, some of we did in <laughs> uh, two of the short films of was there I could I already lost track there was, was there four five. or five Five. All right. Well, there's two that really stood out to us. Mm-hmm. The one was Carante, which ended the piece. Yes. Which we really liked. And uh, we spent a good hour or so, I think, after we recorded, trying to figure out who did what. What what filmmaker was responsible for what short film? Because, unfortunately, Battle in Space did not give the credit. Yeah, no, the final credits didn't break it out to what was which short film. Mm-hmm. Well, Carante was actually uh, was done by uh, uh, Luis Tonico. And I actually went ahead and uh, tracked him down. He works with, uh, I'm not sure how exactly he's, the, the name of the company is said or is pronounced. It's Onirical Studio, O-N-I-R-I-K-A-L Studio. He, it's a visual effects company. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I think he actually heads the place or whatever, but I was able to actually email through them and got in touch with him and uh, got a, an email from him. Excellent. I, I, I sent him a message to let him know how much we enjoyed the film and we, where we saw it and, uh, and how much we enjoyed it. And I just I wanted to read his reply back so uh, you, you could hear it yourself. This is the first time you're hearing this yeah, as well. Yeah, please do. This will be a treat for me. All right. Says hello, Christopher. She says I'm very glad you like the short film. Uh, yes, the uh, so-called Amada attacks thing. It's a very bad distribution package option. I'm not sure what, why they put together these projects with no separated credits, uh, with this bad marketing strategy, etc. But nothing to do with me. <laughs> distribution strategies. Who knows? Says about Carante. Yes, I did it. Um, so this was a short film made in our visual effects company, Ornerico Studios. And it was written and directed by him. It was a three years project done in spare time, weekends, and working between other client projects. 
and as Orinucle Studios is mainly a post-production service company, not a production company, so far. So very happy with the final product, with the result, with the success in film festivals around the world, about 200 official selections, and awards, 65 international awards, and very happy with the audience response. Right now, we are preparing a new feature film project, also pr produced by Ornerical Studio, and again written and directed by me. It's called Antares, an indie, low-budget, drama-thriller feature film with a science environment background. We are right now in pre-production. And I did offer or ask if he wanted to come on the show, uh, and he says that as my schedule is busy one, the time zone doesn't help, <laughs> But, uh, and he says his English is, is very bad. We will abort the Skype call so far, okay? He says we can wait for the feature film premiere and do it then. <laughs> Fair enough. But he thanks us. Uh, he said, thank you very much for your interest in Carante, and thanks for contacting. And it says this kind of email makes us know that the work was worth it. Excellent. It's really great to uh, actually reach out to some of these guys and let them know how much we enjoyed their work. No, it is, and it's even better when they actually respond back. Um, exactly, but because that's excellent. Uh, I mean, the the notion that he's got a full feature um, that he's working on, uh, I'd be excited to catch that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'll definitely. It's one of those things where I'll keep kind of looking, checking in, and you know, follow on Twitter and and waiting for the posts and something like that. Uh, even better than just an email back is when we actually get a chance to talk to him. Yes. And we actually got a chance to do that with Lucas Kendall, who did another one of the shorts that we really liked. Uh, again, I don't remember the name of the short in the Battle in Space film. It was just named for the ship or whatever it was. Yeah, so I, I, I don't recall what they saddled it with. But the actual short film is called Sky Fighter, and you can actually go and watch this. It's on the uh, Dust YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And you can go watch the thing in its entirety as it was meant to be presented. <laughs> yes. And uh, Lucas Kendall was the writer and director of this. And this was a first-time endeavor for him. I was able to reach out to him. And whirlwind, we actually got a chance to talk to him. And right before we sat down to record this is when we sat down and talked to him. And I wanted to share that right now with everybody. So here is Tom and I talking with Lucas Kendall. We are now joined by the creator and the editor-in-chief of Film Score Monthly. He's also the writer-director of the short film Sky Fighter, and we have him on the line, Lucas Kendall. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to speak with you. Um, I want to get to Sky Fighter. First, I want to know we got to talk a little bit about Film Score Monthly and how that got started because I, I love the story because it starts thanks to another publication which is a it was a much loved and sorely missed publication Starlog. That's true. I, I was uh, 15 years old and I sent a letter to Starlog saying about about a bunch of things, but then the end I said, "Does anyone want to start like a soundtracks club and write me?" and Ten people wrote me, and I started sending them a newsletter. This was before the internet. This is 1990. And uh, I just started sending them this newsletter every month, and it, it grew and became this sort of fanzine magazine. And I did it in high school, and I took it with me when I was off of college, and then I graduated and moved to Los Angeles and kept doing it, and it became a record label. And it's still around as an online magazine and a website, and we're selling off the 
what's left of the CD catalog. And I, I still am involved with some CDs from other specialty labels. Gotcha. What, um, what brought your love of the film score and the soundtracks? Is it just because you just from watching movies, you you were just attracted to it or did you have a, like a, a music background? Uh, I mean, I, at the time, I had a music background in that I was a little kid who took music lessons, but I was not, <laughs> I mean, I was not, uh, I don't, I, there, there was no special talent or connection beyond that. I was just, I loved movies, and I liked the sound of symphonic film music, and I loved the Star Wars scores and the Star Trek film and TV scores, and it was a way for me to relive the the emotions of those stories uh, in a in a different art form in the, in the musical underscore and and I, like a lot of people, really fell in love with it. And at the time, you know, you didn't, you couldn't just go to IMDb and find out what movies James Horner had done. You had to go to the video store and turn over the video boxes, and that's how I rented Brainstorm. Um, so it was a it was a different time, and in, into that darkness, I tried to to bring some information to other people like me who I thought. Uh, would uh, like that stuff. Yeah, fantastic. I, I just, I just love the entire story that it just starts out as an ad in a, in a magazine and just keeps growing and growing. And I have to imagine that when you wrote that first letter, you had no idea that you would uh, eventually start creating CDs and publishing a like full magazine, et cetera, et cetera. No, I was I was desperately lonely. My parents were divorced, and you know, I had no friends in high school. And, and uh, well, you know, I, my only friends were the Star Trek characters. So yeah. there you go. Well, I'm, but no, I had no idea. But it was fun. It was a yeah, lot of fun. You, well, you grew up kind of in the same time as we did, where at the time, being a science fiction fan was not exactly didn't put you on the biggest pedestal. <laughs> no, it was totally like a wedgie invitation. So we talked a little bit about Film Score Monthly. We, what we did, we got a review screener of this film that, was, that has been put together called Battle in Space, um, The Armada Attacks. And it ended up being a collection of short films, one of which included uh, your film Skyfighter, uh, although it was given a completely different name. Can I ask you about that? Because I haven't seen it. They didn't. You know, God forbid they send me a screener link. And, and this is part of why we wanted to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, did they? I mean, but I don't want to complain about them either because they, they're a company and they said, hey, we really like your short and we'd really like distribution rights and maybe we can package it in an anthology and make you some money. I said, that sounds great because I went badly out of pocket to finish that, finish the post because those mm-hmm. effects, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of effects and, yes. you know, it, it, I know that by Star Wars standards, it looks sort of primitive, but there, you know, there's a lot of artistry there and there's a lot of precision and it was very expensive. So I, I wanted to make some more money. And so when these guys were interested in my film, I said, great. And I didn't quite realize that it was going to be like they're kind of Robotech it uh, and like kind of, you know, re-engineer what the mythology was. And so did they alter, you know, my, my precious movie by putting no... Does it have the title card in the 26th century or they chop that off? What they did is they start the show off or they start the movie off with like a, um, a monologue of voiceover talking about 
um, aliens and space wizards or something like that that have conquered galaxy and and there's a, a group of people that are fighting back and you know these are their stories right because I saw the reviews except for you guys were pretty brutal because it was people didn't know what it was and they thought they they're like you know you start watching a story and then in 15 minutes there's new characters and then in another 20 minutes there's new characters you finally you're like whoa you know this isn't what isn't what I thought I was watching well, we said that as much in our review as we went yeah. into this film expecting something else entirely. And then once we figured out what it was, yeah. we were like, okay, we're just going to look at these things as individual films because that's what these are. And it, it was very poorly. There was no true through line like it sells itself um, to me. I was just glad that people seemed to like mine and they liked the last one, which I haven't seen. Uh, I don't know the others. I really, you know, it's it's hard, and there's no there, no good comes out of my like complaining about this presentation. It, it's I'm glad they wanted it, and and hopefully, you know, I'll get a check for two hundred bucks in six months. But we'll see. This was a great opportunity to feature some short film that uh, clearly had a lot of love and heart put into them, a um, lot lot of effort, um, and. Some of them were actually quite good. Uh, yours being one of the ones that well, thank one you. of our favorites, uh, which is what which is what spawned us to uh, for have Christopher reach out to you even because one of the conversations we were having around this film is since they've packaged this this way as if it's some coherent story at least based off their their opening. When we settled into seeing them as the individual short films that they were. That's how we decided to break out what we were discussing about them, and yours and uh, and I am blanking on what they called the second the that uh, last I one. I think the Carante, or is uh, that the real name of it? Or yeah, the Carante. Yeah, that's the the, the proper name. Yeah, like I said, they gave each segment a completely different name, so it took us a while to actually track down mm. and figure out what was what. <laughs> Yeah, because when they go into the final credits, uh, oh. they're not broken out by the individual films. It's just one stream. Yeah, I was a little list. afraid that my cast and crew might see this on their resumes now and go, what the hell is that? And then see that it you know, got two stars at IMDb and be a little irritated with me. It's great that you were interested in talking to me because it's... It's such a saturated environment now that, like, there, you know, there's WandaVision, there's The Mandalorian, there's, you know, there's Wonder Woman, and it's like these massive things, and not all of them are great, but they, they sure look great. So you really got to be passionate to then want to delve into, um, you know, the the the, the, uh, the the smaller things and the indie things, and so you know, I I get that spirit. I mean, when I was a when I was doing CDs, I released all kinds of obscure stuff. So I, I know the sort of the treats and the fun of finding the obscure. But thanks, you know, for being interested mm -hmm. in mine, which uh, I, was, I was happy with. And, and it did pretty well for Dust. But I know why. It's because they, I, I, I said going in, I said, let me, you know, I said, let me guess what gets the most amount of clicks for you guys. And is it Bikini Babes and Celebrities? And she said, no, it's Bikini Babes and Spaceships. <laughs> and I said, well, I got the spaceship. So I had him do a custom thumbnail of a spaceship blowing up another spaceship. And I knew that would grab people's uh, attention. Mm -hmm. But whenever they have some like Bikini Babe, it gets like 20 million yeah. views. And then there's one, like the most viewed um, 
the most viewed short at Dust, which which I, you know, like a chump, watched and you know, twice, I was like, well, how good is this? We got twenty four million views, and you know, it's it's not that good. But um, the first comment that has like a thousand you know likes is like, roses are red, violets are blue. I came for the thumbnail, and so did you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you were commenting on, on uh, you chipping in for the uh, the f- final edit to get the the effects in, and I I have to say, it, well worth it. Um, um, I actually found your film very professional, very slick looking, um, and uh, it that was one of the ones that like we were just saying, let's chop off the front after this movie, and we were all in on this. Well, thank you. I gotta I gotta praise the. The DP Dan Marks, who was really, really um, very, very good DP, and he lit that ship. And um, you know, I, I knew the least amount about the cinematography, so I mean, I was so dumb. I was like, when she says that line, "Can you zoom in a little?" He goes, "Lucas, I don't have a zoom lens." So I said, "Well, can you just like walk closer to her then?" He's like, "Yes." So I mean, I was really at sea. So um, I told him what I wanted. And he came over to my house, and we, I showed him a little bit of Alien and a little bit of The Empire Strikes Back inside the Millennium Falcon. And I said, look at that lighting. And he's like, yeah, I know how to do this. We're, you know, we're going to have self-illumination, and I got the colors. And, and he did it. And it, we, there was a, a spaceship set in, um, in basically in North Hollywood where we, that we used. Yeah. And it's been in, like, everything. Did you guys watch that Making of Alien documentary? It's on. It's pretty good. I can't remember what it's called. It's called like Memory Origins of Alien. No, I have not. Hmm. Oh, it's pretty good. It's it, they shot some stuff on the spaceships. This spaceship set has been in probably like a dozen movies and a dozen shorts and TV commercials because it's like this this really thrifty knockoff of the Alien set where it's got this like mesh. You know those floors um, yeah. that looks the, like this cool grid with the light coming up. It's just uh, dishwasher trays, commercial industrial dishwasher trays upside down, and so you're and they have holes, so like you sit, you you know you go through it, and it has these all these interesting textures, like these weird discs on the walls, and then you get close, and it's potted plants. It's just the plastic pots, so um, it's real DIY stuff. But they're they're very good hosts, and they're called Laurel Canyon Stages. And so we used their set, and then we dressed it. I thought I thought we lit it very very well. But um, he really, yeah, I, 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 he really did the look and the look of it, you know. And he's the one who said, "You really got to shoot this in scope." And I said, "Are you sure? Because it's so confined." And he's like, "No, no, you really do it anamorphic. Trust me." I was like, "Okay," and so we did. Yeah, no, it was probably one, definitely felt like one of the more professionally shot uh, of all the shorts that we saw in that film, and definitely one of the more professionally sh- shot short films that I've seen. So I think, yeah, absolutely made the right call there. Did you guys find the music annoying? Annoying? No, I didn't find it annoying. I did watch it again uh, yesterday. Um, I found it, at least in the very beginning, in the opening, the opening. Um, what do you want to call it? The theme or something? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the right word is. It it definitely you notice it. Yeah, I because I come from film scores and I like prominent sounding scores. I 
you know, that was at my request. And I wanted to do like a retro synth score because it's not like we had money for an orchestra. Mm-hmm. And so the composer I worked with, I, I you know, I kind of, um, yeah, that was the direction I gave him. And then we got some occasion. There's some people who just have like an allergic reaction to it and say like, that was such a cool movie, but this cheesy old synths is Casio is horrible. And <laughs> so it was embarrassing to me and I felt bad. And I really felt bad for the composer because it wasn't his choice. It was, I mean, he did the music, but, um, you know, at my direction. So it was just one of the things that I thought it was cool. And I thought it gave a, a real, um, sound to the short that people would remember, but, um, yeah, some people didn't like it. And so I was a little self-conscious about it. I think once you, uh, once you settle into it and settle into the, the film itself, I, I thought it was, was fine. It was just when it, when it first starts, I will admit that it was kind of like, wow, I noticed, I noticed this synth music playing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, thank you. I, and I understand. And um, uh, I, you know, I haven't watched it myself in a while. You get sick of it. And, um, <laughs> but there are a lot of things about it I'm proud of. And I'm proud of the performances and the cast and, uh, and how we cut it. You know, Rob, uh, Rob is a very good editor. And I mean, cutting in those flash cuts and going from the dark spaceship to the bright outdoors. And, and we got a, a very, very fine actor, Eric Paladino to play the dad. And we got a terrific child actor who, um, I really had a nice time meeting his family and he doesn't have any lines, but he actually looks like the guy, which I couldn't believe yes. when my, uh, the woman, who, the woman who cast this, Christine, she, she cast Boogie Nights. And she's a, yeah, she's a friend and she did it, um, like as a favor and, um, she's got great taste. And so she found, uh, that cast. And, and in fact, um, Jessica Bohr is, uh, is really good and she's been on Shameless. No, uh, actually I was going to come around to the cast because, uh, your cast was, uh, again, very, very small, tight cast, but the, it. They they had an excellent rapport. Uh, they set the they set the mood very well. Um, I, I was just completely sucked in into uh, into this short little story. Uh, I, I know I likened it to uh, a, a, a an incredibly good uh, Twilight Zone. Uh, well, thank you. And in fact, there is an Outer Limits in the '90s that it bears some similarities to, which I. I, I remember seeing half of it like when it aired 25 years ago. Uh, well, no, look, thanks. I, I appreciate it. And um, I thought they had really good chemistry and I thought it's the illusion of movie making because it was pretty last minute. And we, I hadn't even, I had, I, I, they were cast at the last minute and we never met each other until that morning. I mean, there was no rehearsal. Oh, wow. There was no auditions. It was just, we identified people who we thought would be good and then hired them and, I had one meeting with Tom, Tom Madden, who plays John, and but uh, we had a, an actress drop out on us, and then um, like at the last minute, we got Jessica Bohr, who was doing Shameless during the week. She did Shameless on Friday, did our thing on the weekend, and went back to Shameless on Monday. I met her that morning. She goes, "Hey, nice to meet you," and so it was really, and I had never directed anything, <laughs> uh, so it was pretty terrifying actually because I was paying for it. You know, and there was a lot of pressure right. on me because um, the there there were some people who I who were involved with the production who uh, 
were very uncomfortable at how late we were going with it uh, without it being cast, you know, because we were really on the cusp of having a shoot day with no cast. And and so I was getting um, a lot of uh, pushback to just get anybody, but I wanted to hold out for people I thought was right. Oh, and then I got sick. So I like never get a fever. I get a fever like once every 10 years. But my kids who are now six and were four at the time, like they came home from Montessori school with a fever and then I got it. So I I couldn't even do meetings really, or I couldn't even be there on the set when they were lighting it because I was, I had my kids and the kids had a fever and I had a fever and I felt horrible. So it was like really, really terribly stressful. But directing is stressful. And then it was especially stressful directing because that set is enclosed and I couldn't, I had to be on a monitor uh, out and on <laughs> headphones. So, you know, when you give your actors notes, it's really kind of rude to just yell, can you just look more, you know, just like, hey, do it, you know, do it, uh, look away when, you know, you want to get up, take off the headphones, walk in and talk to your actors and then walk out. So there's a lot of constant just shuffling around and, and um, sort of remote, you know, remote control it's just I'm sure I'm sure real directors are very accustomed to it, but it was a, it was a lot to learn. But uh, I liked directing, and I thought I did it. You know, I thought I got good. I thought we. I thought they gave good performances and created that illusion that they were that they did know each other and that they were in this predicament. And but it was uh, because they didn't have the preparation to really study it. It was really just on a line by line basis trying to explain, uh, you know, let's get the tone bigger, smaller, and trying to say, you know, um, you know, don't, I remember saying, pretend this is like a marriage, you know, this is, you know, so it's, I, I want the grown-up reaction, I don't want the adolescent reaction, and they're like, oh, okay, you know, so just to, just learning how to direct actors when I've never done it, but I, 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 hope, I hope I get the chance to do it again without paying for it. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I gotta give you credit for the Indiegogo pay. Thank you. Because <laughs> it was fun just even catching that. Well, that was my peeps. They really stepped up, and in fact, I owe them a Blu-ray and a, and a CD. I've been very delinquent on that, and I'm, I feel terrible about it. I need to, I need to get it made. It was just so hard when COVID hit because their finances took a hit and. And I like I got to autograph it and get the composer to autograph it. And just there's some logistical and financial things, but I'll get that perk out to those guys because they yeah they they supported my dream. Uh, you know what what else can you say? But thank you. One of the things when we saw this thing and we discussed it in our review is that in just what is it maybe just fifteen seconds that this thing is there's so much universe that is uh, in this thing. And it's a really great example of you you show, don't tell. There's no like long exposition about the universe that they're in. The situation that is happening explains all you need to explain. And it's all condensed into this this short film. And it's like it's fantastic because we 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 know about you know, we, there's, well, there's you. the space battles there's there's uh cybernetic implants where, you know there's this it's odd that she's not wired it, all this stuff is all in there and it's all condensed into this i'm like that's a big universe that you're building and it's all in this little package that's what one of the things we really appreciated well i i wish you were you know working at amazon 
<laughs> I mean, not not stuffing boxes, but making movies. Um, but uh, look, I, I that was what we wanted. That's what the whole team wanted, and it's very gratifying to hear you say that. And I also was proud of the as far as show don't tell. You know the the effects. Something you know on YouTube, like YouTube, YouTube comments are not what I hope aliens see as their first exposure to humanity. Oh yeah. Because there's a lot of, I mean, but sometimes I get comments like, these effects look like, you know, the stupid Atari. Because they were, you know, as I said, I didn't have a lot of money to do it at full res. And, right. And I, in fact, I, I asked the, the visual effects artist, whose name is Tobias Richter, and his company's called The, the Lightworks. And he's, he's done um, a lot of the Star Trek fan films. Uh, so that's where he comes from. But he's a space guy, and and I never even met him. I never even talked to him. He's in Germany, so we just emailed, and I would mark up, I print out things, and and write on it with markers. But even those those effects are. I made. I I asked for them to be stripped down and very simple because you needed to actually learn as the audience through what the world is by watching those holograms, and. Uh, the one thing I'm proud of is that for all the snotty comments I got once in a while that like these effects are kind of primitive, nobody said like, I don't understand them. And you take it for granted. And it is so hard. I mean, it is so demanding to, um, to have your effects. You need to know when those ships separate or when the thing turns around or when the scope turns around, like who's shooting what and who's hiding from what. And is this the good guy or the bad guy? And that's all narrated by these purely visual holograms. And when we were editing it, too, Rob and I had nothing. So we just had the cutaways. And Rob was saying, dude, how, how do we know how long to make this? How long is this effect going to be? And I just said, let's just take our best guess, you know, and let's just feel the rhythm of it. And then we can make the hologram simpler or more com complex based on what what we need. But I think out of like a hundred shots and there were probably a good, um, like 30 just inserts of that hologram. I think there were only like, there was maybe two or three that we had to change the duration of, and maybe two that we switched places, but they didn't change because the rhythms of it were set by the editing and that we knew, you know, his eye, I want to look at him. I want to look at the hologram telling him this. I want to look at her. She's reacting. Anyway, I'm, I'm going back to the mindset I had when we were doing it. But it was a ton of work. And that's something that usually it was like 40 people doing it. And in our case, it was, you know, it was like four people doing it. Well, see, that's what could be appreciated by this. It's clear that this was done by somebody that had... Uh, love and background of sci-fi because one of the things that I enjoyed most about the piece is that you didn't dumb it down for us. You didn't feel the need to have the characters or or some computer uh, explain everything that we're seeing to us and beat us over the head with it. You've taken what most would know from the being fans of sci-fi and know if you give us just enough, we're not stupid. We'll we'll latch on to it so that we can focus more on the story. Well, uh, yeah, that was thank you. I, I I agree, and that was what we tried to do. And I do come from that. I love Galactica. I love Robotech. Um, I like the Expanse now. Uh, yeah, we all we all know those tropes, and 
and you can you can figure out from the behavior of the characters if something's good or bad or how how much trouble they're in um and then you can focus on the emotion you can you can actually have a story most of these short films go wrong they go wrong first of all because they start and it's like you know uh a, 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 it's an aerial shot that takes 45 seconds and then it says you know bubble films presents and so it's just like it does two minutes of just this glacial <laughs> setup, which you can do if you're Kubrick. You know, you can do if you're Terrence Malick. You can't do it if you're nobody making a short film. So that's why when mine starts, that's why the music was kind of obnoxious, because I wanted just to grab people and then just start and just start giving them something to relate to, to relate to this guy who wakes up and doesn't know who he is. And then it's like, yes, it, there are various derivative elements of it. it's like memento in space or whatever people said. I, I welcome that. It's totally true. At the time I made this short, I had um, producers on board who were interested in the script. And I said, well, I want to direct it. And they said, well, you know, you've never directed. I said, no, no, I'll make a demo for you to prove that I can direct it. So I was not as much interested in making this as a proof of concept for the story as much as I was as a proof of director so that they would approve me. And then they did approve me. And then what I learned is trying to get a movie made is just brutal. And um, these guys, we, you know, we, we, um, we made some offers to actors that they put up the money for. And then when COVID hit, their company fell apart. So now I'm on my own. Uh, so it's, it's hard work. And, and it's very competitive because I made some mistakes in the calculus of how to get this movie made. I thought, okay, let me just have two main characters and then I, you know, in my infinite stupidity, I thought, well, we'll make them young because it, it, it was a young person's story and young, young actors are cheaper. And they are, but they're not because you need to do something. And there are like sort of two different ways you can get a movie financed. One is like Netflix says, great, we'll make it. And then you're making a movie for Netflix and you get who's right for the story. Or if Blumhouse wants it, then it, it can be unknowns. But if you're going the other way, if you're going the international financing model, you need, that's why all these movies have Bruce Willis with a gun because it's just a cash grab because that's they, or they have, it's the movie that Lance Hendrickson says, he just, you know, he flies to Romania and that's, you know, that's all he knows about. And then he, then Lance Hendrickson is running around in Romania for two weeks and they get his close-ups, and then he goes home. So they do all these movies, but those are the, the Gerard Butler action movies and they are all these movies for like Nicolas Cage and these people who were movie stars and were coming down from being movie stars. Um, but I can't use a 50-year-old fighter pilot. This movie doesn't work with people of that age. It's not believable and it's not the, the story that, it, that, it's, that it's telling. So then the problem is that the, the younger actors don't have the international renown to support the financing and the people who would support the financing are people who are blowing up. And there's no way we're getting Adam Driver because he's making Academy Award movie. You know, he's winning Academy Awards for Scorsese and stuff. So you're, it's like you're kind of in this, then you're like, whoops, you know, it's this donut hole. And I found, I found that when we were trying to get this movie made with me as the director, then all these young actors, they don't want to, they don't want to work for me. They want to work for Ryan Johnson. They want to work for famous directors. So, and then I made a movie that's two people in a room 
but it also needs like $5 million in visual effects. So uh, I do have a, a feature script and it was actually a good thing that we that the movie didn't go forward a year ago because I it was an amateurish script that I've since completely overhauled three times and I'm much more proud of it now. Uh, and I hope to find a new financier and I hope to get um, get stars and or get get actors that'll support the budget and go and make it. In the meantime, I'm writing other things and and I'm trying to get hooked up with a, with a, a manager, a literary manager or a director manager and representation that could then take it out because it's it's just brutal, you know. It is a it is a, a brutal environment trying to sell a script and get a movie made. It is so competitive and it's full of um, so many famous people trying to get their stuff done that is really hard to break in. It's been very, very, very humbling. And um, that's the end of that monologue. And I hope I <laughs> No, it's really great to actually kind of get a uh, an inside view because it's something that I think most of us, it, it's something we probably take for granted or something we just don't think about. And we don't understand how difficult it is for even even the famous people to get their movies out there sometimes um, they have ideas or they have something they want to do but because that idea isn't what's selling right now or and my gosh if you don't have a name if you don't have a you know fame behind you it it, it, it has to be just nearly impossible so it is nice to actually hear this from the inside to know that 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 is the case and it bit me on the short because when i was done with the short i was like wow i you know i punched my ticket and just wait till they see this and and people saw this but they were like eh, you know they because it's a really i it you know it's a good sci-fi short is it the most mind-blowing sci-fi short? it's not a, it's not the best sci-fi short there's ever made it's not a total game changer it's not it doesn't have the effects are servicing the story. The effects are not so revolutionary that they would make people just go, wow, you know, it was, it was really just to be a solid, you know, well-told story with good direction and good acting to prove that I could be approved as a director. So it's, you know, it's hard and audiences seem to like it and it's got over a million views and, and people are, have been complimentary of it, but it's, it hasn't been the game changer I hoped because, again, it's just such a competitive field. Well, right now, too, the field has been saturated with things like Avengers or, you know, pick whatever superhero uh, film that you want to talk about where everything is very polished and, and very perfect. And it, it must make it hard for room. It, it, excuse me. It must make it hard to make room for if something where you just want to tell a really good, solid story, but you don't have all that spit and polish. Uh, pro- yeah, I think you're right. And I think that the things that then, the things that do get on people's radar are the festival hits and like that um, that pretty cool movie, uh, what's it called? The Vasta Night? I don't you know. You didn't what. see Vasta Night? It's the, the um, 50s alien thing there was a big sundance or slam dance hit and it's on amazon you guys gotta watch it you'll love it it's really stylish he made it's got this sort of it's got this really cool tracking shot where this camera just goes whooshing over this this uh town uh or through this town at like three feet off the ground um for miles 
and it's very, very visually distinctive. All right, cool. Yeah, it'll add it to the list. Yeah, you guys should watch that. But that's the kind of thing that then something that really changes the grammar of film gets people's attention. You, like you said, you've had all this difficulty with it, but this is your first time out of, out of the gate, and that was a very solid first time out of the gate. Uh, I mean, you put together a pretty solid short there. Uh, I would love to see... We, we had discussed, because this uh, battle in space, uh, because the way they kind of packaged it, we missed the days of, uh, like, back when sci-fi used to actually have shorts uh-huh. um, that, that they would feature. There needs to be more room um, for people uh, from various backgrounds to bring forward their well, there's, there's that they could there's share. There's dust, right. you know, the, the, the platform I'm I'm just yeah. now getting yeah. into dust. I found it on my road. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, they have a YouTube page. And a couple other things I meant to say is that the, one of the other ways that these shorts really go bad is in the acting. And it's because you tend to have a lot of these sci-fi shorts are made by 25-year-old uh, like visual effects nerds who have these most dazzling, dazzling visual effects. They're totally amazing, but they don't really know how to tell a story and they don't know how to direct actors. So once people start opening in their mouths, it's this really kind of cartoony, you know, histrionic, and it's annoying and it just doesn't, it's not, it just doesn't work because that's not what they know how to do. And I have a friend, um, his name's Robert Nathan, and he was a showrunner for Law and and Order. And, And he's my mentor, really. And so I learned screenwriting from him, and uh, we we wrote a couple of things together. And you know, nothing. There is a movie that got made that's totally bizarre, and uh, um, I'll tell you about it later. But <laughs> um, a very weird indie that we made together. But I, I learned from him, like how do you how do you tell a story, and how do you how do you write for actors, and how do you find those emotional moments, and and then how do you how do you direct actors so that it things are sculpted and so that it has you're you're constantly focused on relatable human behavior so when it got time to to directing those actors in that spaceship we were really using the space and 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 treating it like a play and really thinking okay if you really are you know telling this guy something he doesn't want to hear i want i want him to be walking away and then you know, when you like something, get let her get a little closer. When you don't like it, get get a little farther. It's all this stuff that people actually would do in reality in this very heightened hyper reality that that is the is the sci-fi world that we're in. But I learned from Robert how to build exp- exposition into the narrative, and that's something that most of these people just don't know how to do. But you know, I'm not 26; I'm 46, so I've you know, I've had time to to learn this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a have been a big fan of indie film for a while now, and I have several friends who are indie filmmakers, and I always uh, support their films and I enjoy their films. But even with all that being said, there are times where it's like, yes, but that is just your neighbor that you have in that role, or that's that's your brother, and they're not actors, they're not professional actors. Sometimes you you get lucky, and they can actually pull it off. But a lot of times, yeah, nah, not so much. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's unrecoverable. Right. If if something is miscast, it's unrecoverable. And then if it's not uh, directed well, it is it you and only you only need one moment to be like so wrong that it's then unrecoverable. 
it's 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 a very very educating experience, mm-hmm. you know, making these things and and constructing them. Well, you made some solid choices to to hold out for for the people that you got and to push for the way that you wanted it all to yep. unfold. Well, thank you very so, much. I, it, it actually showed uh, me hearing that that is essentially your first shot at directing. It showed a level of maturity that didn't look like somebody's first try. Well, thank you. I, I yeah, I, I appreciate it. Hopefully next time I'll be yeah. on Ed Wood. And the next one will be better. You know. um, yeah. Yep. I, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun to make stuff. It's fun. It can be, and it can be, it's, it's, it is scary. It's scary when you're directing, you know, it, it's up to you to d- decide when you got the, when you have got the moment, you know, you got to be looking at the clock because there's a, there's a deadline. We had to be out of that spaceship set. But, you know, only you know when when you've got it. So it's when everybody else is like, it's fine for sound and fine for lighting. And and nobody else knows. That was that was something that really surprised me that I didn't realize about directing, especially because, I you know, it was such a skeleton crew. There was no one like I was the only person to say whether I liked it. You know, the script supervisor was kind of helpful. She would say that was pretty good, you know, but. If I if I turn around and say, do you guys like that? It's like you know we don't. There was no one there to do that because the, the light guys are watching the lights. You know they're watching it for camera. The sound recordist he's making sure it's clean, but they're not there saying you told the story well. And the AD just wants to keep going because he wants to make the day. So it's up to me to say I know that we're breaking for lunch, but this isn't done, and I need to go further. And then it's up to you to say, okay, how how much more can I push this actor to be more emotional or to try and do this line a little bit cleaner or to get a little bit softer, or a little bit more real. Cause it's hard work. They, they had to do a lot of emotional stuff in, in kind of very adverse circumstances, but they were very good. And, and yeah, Tom and Jess, they were, they were, they were very good. And, um, I was felt very, very lucky to have them. I've, and I'm always sort of mindful that when I do one of these interviews that people who made the movie might, listen to it. And, uh, so I always want people to know how grateful I am that I was able to work with them and how appreciative, uh, you know, I am of, um, of their being a part of it. And, and, and to you guys too, for, for wanting to, to ask. No, I'm, I'm just glad we're, we were able to figure out, I mean, we should have done it before we actually started talking about the film that we saw it in. <laughs> we spent like the night after <laughs> digging through and trying to figure out, um, all the different filmmakers' names and trying to track down and figure out who who did what and and everything and um, yeah we were given this screener to watch and uh, we just kind of popped it into to into our lineup and then became we became fascinated in our horror of how it was put together but what good stuff there was in it despite right. and, then, and then and then not being able to say okay well it was it was this person that did this and so we really need to compliment them a little bit like you were saying you want to say something nice about the people that you know worked with you mm-hmm. well we want to give credit where credit's due and we're watching this and going I have no idea. There, there's really. I still, I still don't know. I don't know who the other filmmakers are, or who, or who produced it for the company that that put it together. Mm-hmm. Did you guys? Are you guys Ghost in the Shell fans, or Robotech fans, or both? Back in the day, did you recognize the voice on the radio? No, Richard Epcar. That's that's Lunk, and also Ben Dixon from Robotech. 
Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And he's Bato awesome. in Ghost in the Shell. Okay. And he's a yeah. I wasn't much a Ghost in the Shell, but Robotech uh, it had its. Time he, did you watch for me. Macross Plus? I did. He's gold. Yes. Oh, yeah. is he? And did you know who's? That's did awesome. you know who the um, the hero of Macross Plus is? Brian no. Cranston. No. It is. I, I had no oh, idea. Wow. I had no idea either. I re- I rewatched it. I was like, what? <laughs> and I was listening and I was like, oh yeah, it is. It's Brian Cranston. You know, well, well before, yes. I think even before Malcolm in the Middle, but definitely before Breaking Bad. But, but I, yeah, I, I always liked um, Richard Epcar as a voice actor. And so just, I, you know, I needed these, I wanted that voice on the radio. And so we just, you know, I, we, we hired him and I wrote out the lines and he recorded the lines at home and sent them. And I asked for a couple of retakes and he did the retakes. And, and now I have, I have Ben Dixon and vo- Ben Dixon's voice in my movie, which I, I really got nice. such a kick That is out. very cool. Well, you, you, you're the soundtrack guy. I, uh, for Macross plus, I was obsessed with the soundtrack. Oh my God. I love you. I love Yoko Kano. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. She's the best. No, uh, in fact, uh, I could probably talk to you more on that front all by itself if we had all night, because uh, uh, my entire music catalog and love of music all spawns from TV and hmm. film. Oh, cool! Uh, that everything, everything I own almost entirely in my in my music catalog came from a soundtrack. <laughs> well, I, me too. I mean, so, yeah. Yeah, so you, you, I I could just spend all the time on that too, but uh, yeah, you probably I've probably purchased stuff that you were responsible for oh. getting out there in the <laughs> well, world. Well, cool. Well, thank. Do you have the Star Trek 15 CD box set? I do not yeah. have that. It's out of print. <laughs> but you could get most of the discs. You can get uh, you can get as digital downloads. I did a lot of sure. Star Trek albums. Um, I went as far as having like the even the. Uh, the sound effects. Yeah, I love that so, album. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those are all awesome. But uh, yeah, no. we could we could disappear yeah. down. I guess you have a here. one hour show, so I guess we should get off. But, um, <laughs> uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't turn us. Uh, we we we've turned out some pretty long yeah. ones in the all past. Right. Well, I definitely want to check out more of your shows, and um, you know, if anything else ever comes up, I'm happy to be on again. Or if you ever have questions especially about movie music that maybe i could help you with i'm happy to try and help oh yeah absolutely and we'll definitely be following you and uh and and, and you know whatever endeavors you you have in the future we'll we'll try to keep our your our ear to the rail mm-hmm. and uh and yeah, we'll keep Thanks. our fingers crossed for you know sky fighter the uh the major motion picture <laughs> let's hope it'd be awesome on netflix it'd be so obviously a netflix movie i could make that movie so good I really, I could make that, that feature so good. Yeah. Well, Lucas, I, I know I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your evening to come and talk to us about this. And we were thrilled to get a chance to talk to you about it and, uh, and glad yeah. and very happy to be able to express, you know, our enjoyment of this. And I, I, I hope it comes across that how much we really, we just really appreciate it. I love indie films and when it's done right, I love it even more. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I wish you were running universal. <laughs> Uh, as I always say, um, we we can critique whatever, but I always have a, a, an appreciation for the fact that people have put their time, money, and heart 
into doing these things for our entertainment. I can never take away exactly. that. Well, thanks. So, yep, no. All right, and thank you guys. So appreciate you for your thank work. Thank you very much, and I appreciate what you do. You know, keeping uh, you're my peeps. I love you know. I come no, I come from fandom. It's really in my heart, and I'm always a fan. Yep. All right. Well, again, thank you very, very much, and uh, good luck with everything. I hope it all works out. That was a really fun conversation. I mean, it ended up going a little longer than I was expecting it. I really thought we'd be kind of in and out in 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30. <laughs> it went a little it went a little longer. Well, and he won. He was incredibly easy to talk to. Uh, he He's our age group. He is a huge fanboy of the genre. Um, we had just a lot that we could just bond over for God's sakes, he worked at a grocery store when he was a kid, just like us. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, believe me, I, I did. I didn't say that as it as it was like that's that's a bad thing. No, I was really thrilled that it went the way it did. This is my first interview with you on this podcast. So, um, and admittedly, it went so you pulled it together so quickly. I didn't have much time lead in. To, to prep for this, uh, so I was both excited and nervous for uh, having the conversation with him, so I was so happy that it just kind of flowed, because as with these things do, uh, he has no idea who we are, uh, he is still trying to get his career off the ground as far as doing this kind of stuff, so there's that beginning moment where you're just kind of like, why are we talking to each other? <laughs> And then it, <laughs> exactly. we broke ice and and went from there. And it was just, he's he's a lot of fun. I love I love just how he's managed to tie into the things that he loved growing up and make it part of his life all the all the time. I mean, I'm I'm jealous, honestly. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, like I said in the interview, you know, it starts out with just an ad in Starlog, mm-hmm. and it blossoms into this magazine, and then it blossoms into this. Uh, this music production company. Uh, it's like, how? <laughs> how does this happen? Well, it, 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 and it's like you said, the way that it, he just kind of, I'm just going to try that. And it it becomes the next thing and the next thing. And I got to admit, I, uh, I didn't get a chance to say that because we were already being fairly complimentary because he did. He did an excellent job with Sky Fighter. Um, mm-hmm. And to have that be your first directorial debut, uh, even with the difficulties that he had, as he mentioned throughout the interview, to pull that together and have a good solid entry on your very first try, that's awesome. Um, but to ha- I, if I could go back and talk to him again, I'd just say I, I'm just impressed by his the, how he'll put his passion into action. I mean... We all have those things that we go, I, I would like to do that. And then something lets us not. And right. he has he has pushed past that and just, I'm just going to try. And, and if it latches on, I'll keep going. And, and <laughs> I love that. I love anybody that can get that done. I wish I could do a little bit more of it myself. Kind of living the dream. He may not know it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, whatever level of success he, he ever sees, at least he's doing it. And that's awesome. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think with that, we'll take a short break here. Uh, we haven't played an ad for, it's been, a, we've got a little while. Um, we'll take a break and play a promo for another podcast. 
and we'll do maybe a shorter review. There may not be all that much to talk about on this one, so it might, this might be the perfect opportunity. This may have actually worked out for the best. But <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about something very different. Very. <laughs> and we're going to take a look at a made-for-TV movie done in 1973 called Baffled. Movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler. Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. All right, yeah, we're back. This is something that Tom and I, it was an idea that I came up with, and I think it's going to be kind of an on-again, off-again sort of series uh, throughout this year where we're just going to look at some made-for-TV movies. Mm -hmm. And so many of them are going to come out of the 70s because that seemed to be like, that was made-for-TV decade. Well, yeah, because, I mean, uh, we, granted, uh, our entry tonight was when I was born. Um, but uh, that that said, uh, what I do remember from the era was, I mean, that was the thing is, like, every Saturday or Sunday that you got a new made-for-TV movie. That was how you got through, because that's what they had for the weekends. The weekdays were for the 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 dramas and the uh, the sitcoms that were on, and then the weekend was for the movie. <laughs> Boy, have we picked a doozy to start with. <laughs> we did. Uh, baffled. Uh, and you yeah, have to I say was... that right. It's baffled, because it's got an exclamation point at the end. <laughs> Mrs. Faraday, is my father here yet? Your father? Was he supposed to be? Well, yes, we were to meet him here. It's only a matter of a few more days. And each day's an age without you. Well, your mirror can't be complaining. Age-wise. What's so awful about not telling her, Daddy? She wants to see you, too. It's not easy, Jane. In some ways, you'll have to give up being a child. Were these the forces of evil or just a childish prank? <laughs> Why should Duncan Sanford send for his wife and his daughter and then not turn up? Why? Could Duncan have hypnotized Jennifer in some way? mysterious surroundings, even death has its resurrection. Put your arms around your mother, child. She's had such a fright. Oh, Jennifer. The change she's wearing must be taken from her. That's the son of Marcosius the wolf. 
Was it sorcery, superstition, or black magic? There's a girl's hands, and she's squeezing a leaf. The girl, is it Jennifer? I can't tell. It's, it's all hazy. Baffled. <laughs> Starring Leonard Nimoy, Susan Hampshire, Vera Miles, and Rachel Roberts. Please help me. Over here, Tom. Baffled. A perplexing puzzle of action, drama, and mystery, which ventures into the realms of the unknown. Yeah, this one I definitely did not see when it first aired. I didn't. I knew nothing about it until it was actually reviewed years ago by the B movie cast. Oh yeah, they talked about it, and after they talked about it, it was kind of like, oh, I've got to see this thing. Right. And so I picked up like a um, kind of we'll call it a gray market DVD at the next convention I went to, and I came across it. Baffled stars Leonard Nimoy playing Tom Kovac, a professional race uh, professional race car driver. During one of his races, he is suddenly struck with strange visions. An English manor house, a young girl, a woman screaming, a van careening down the road. These visions cause him to wreck his car and lose the race. The loss and his story of these strange visions gets the attention of a young expert in ESP, Susan Hampshire, played by Michelle Brent. She meets Kovac and convinces him to come to England to try to get to the bottom of these visions, which may help save the life of the woman in them. So yeah, Leonard Nimoy is a clairvoyant race car driver. Sold. You know, that that script, that that had to sell itself right there. <laughs> well, at least for getting made. <laughs> <laughs> that was the elevator pitch. <laughs> the guy that played Spock. Yeah, race car driver. ESP. Here's a, here's the money. <laughs> Make a movie. It was really great. This was intended to be a pilot yes. for a series. As is completely obvious when you get to the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, even at the beginning, that's I, I didn't remember until I watched it this time. The opening credits is very much a TV series opening credit. Uh, for the 70s, yeah, it's got the music, it's got the, the big banner, uh, and... It's got all the little cuts and little scenes yeah, the little... Uh, from the film, which, if it were a series, it would be obviously over several episodes. You'd have little clips from all the different uh, episodes or something like that. But, it, yeah, it, it very much felt like a TV show right from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I am a fan of Leonard Nimoy. Uh, for Spock. And I know that, uh, particularly through the 70s, he uh, he wanted to disavow Spock at all costs because he felt Spock somehow was typecasting him and limiting his ability to uh, do other projects. I have not watched all of Leonard Nimoy's filmography by any stretch of the imagination. However, if I were to just take this piece as to 
any idea what Leonard Nimoy might be like as an actor, I would say Spock fell into his lap as the perfect role that he should have latched onto forever because the acting in this was just not good. <laughs> really? I didn't think it was that bad. I enjoyed him in this. Did you seriously? Because I I did. I like seeing him not you know as not Spock. I mean, besides Star Trek, I only really knew him from In Search of. Right. And In Search of is still very kind of monotone. You know, I'm just here to introduce and 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 narrate. You don't get a lot of emotion or, or or anything from it. So to see him in this, where he actually gets to be, you know, he gets to smile, he gets to joke, he gets to give the, you know, the little the the knowing wink to somebody, uh, you know, all that. Uh, I I enjoyed it. Now, and, and I did my level best to completely divorce him from Spock while I was watching this, and I found in doing so. I found him still to be fairly monotone and almost kind of creepy. Like, and and the parts that aren't his fault is is like the dialogue and direction during this. Uh, The the interactions with other characters just ran on top of each other, I found. Um, Like, he'd be talking, she'd start talking immediately, and like, there was no pause, there was no thought, there was just... they, They... it, it, it kept doing that, and I'm like, you you guys are reading lines. You guys aren't actually acting with one another. Um, and I didn't feel like the, the character, uh, um, what was her name? Uh, Michelle Brent, Brent, played by Susan Hampshire. Oh, did I have it backwards? Yeah, her character was Michelle Brent, um, played by... Oh, sorry. Susan. I had it backwards in my synopsis there. Uh, I missed that, but uh, yeah, anytime Tom and Michelle uh, were, they're supposed to be building a rapport and it all seemed very forced and hmm. not not very natural. I didn't get that. No. That's, that's strange. I really didn't get that. I, I, I'm not saying that they were, you know, oh my gosh, there, there's kismet here. They, they, they right. really, you know, sparkled together or anything like that. But I, I didn't feel like they were, you know, repelling each other. I, I, I didn't get repelled. Just kind of like, why? <laughs> you and I are usually pretty aligned, but yeah, on this, I found, I was just having the hardest time getting into this. Uh, it actually took. Uh, uh, three attempts to get through it. <laughs> Cause, wow. Um, yeah, the, I found this one a little tough because, uh, and like you were pointing out, the opening credit sequence that's very much the setup for a TV show, but that that music. Dur- I liked it. You liked that? <laughs> I like it. Oh my god. No, I was like, this is like trying to be catchy, but it's just wrong. <laughs> Like, like, and it's not set in the tone. Uh, like, there was a scene where they they're having their quote unquote car chase um, with the really really old buggy <laughs> and the and the van that was barely a vehicle. Um, 
and they're having it, and they start playing this music, and it's a little, it's, this is supposed to be a serious moment where there's danger, and it came off very flowery and fun. <laughs> like, I'm not getting the sense of suspense and dread that I feel like I should be right now. <laughs> I thought it was like good action music, and for, for an opening, I mean, they didn't use it during the chase that I remember. Um, no, not during the chase, but that, that that was what I was getting at, is the, the music choices were throwing me off, as well as the, the, the dialogue, the acting, the story. Well, the story, I will give you, I felt like it was a little... Um, I felt like there was, like, pages missing from the script. This was, like, the abridged or something like that, because there just seems like things were just kind of... And, oh, and this is why. Oh, all right, so let's move on. <laughs> What year did Scooby-Doo come out? Like, the originals? Oh, that's like 60s. Yeah. Yeah. This was Scooby-Doo. Yeah, maybe a little bit. It was a bit live action, right down to the tearing the mask off the face. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) At that point, I was having a total mystery science theater moment, and I was laughing my ass off. I'm like, no, you just didn't. Oh, and they would have gotten away with it, too, if it hadn't been for those. Damn race car driver and his girl. <laughs> As I caveat always, I appreciate things for what they were trying to do. Because um, at least they did it. So, um, Well, and I, I look at it, too, like this was going to be a pilot. I mean, how many pilots do you know that hit the ground running that aren't a little rough? And they, you know, once they go to season or go to uh, production for the season or whatever, they can kind of calm down and start, you know, kind of honing. Okay, what's my character going to be like? You know, what's the backstory? What's what, what what's going on here? I mean, they had to try to pack a whole bunch of stuff into this in order to try to get people's attention in order to, to get the green light to go to a series. Yes. No, and I don't envy anyone trying to come up, especially with kind of a, um, I I get that like early 70s and all that uh, occult style stuff was kind of the rage. Yeah. Um, So I get the, the sense this one was just, you could probably do more with that concept now. Then you could then, because they were struggling with that, that it was coming off the 60s where everything, flowery, flower power, everything like that. Um, you're struggling with that. You're struggling with uh, Nimoy's history on Star Trek. Um, you're trying to make something occult, but it's still got to be kind of family friendly because this is going to be a TV show, prime mm-hmm. time. So right. it, it, it was a formula that for at the, the mix of things that they were trying to get together, it, it, it didn't gel very well. No. OK. Yeah, that's fair enough. You could almost look at this as sort of like a proto fringe. Or even proto X-Files. Yeah, no, I get I, I, I would give you that uh, uh, the fringe uh, probably more so um, because mm-hmm. that sense of. Uh, that anticipation of something going on somewhere that you just you're disjointed from and now but you feel compelled to get involved because there's danger and intrigue and somebody's life's on the line um yeah because uh i i i see where you're going with that thought 
but they they didn't they didn't set that up well like the the him having the premonition during driving the race car and you didn't get enough information from his premonition to go why should he care to go do anything yeah, that's that's and that's where I was talking about where the script where I feel like there was pages missing yeah. is he has his visions and it's it you get the impression that's the first time it's happened or something like that. He wrecks his car and he apparently actually talks to people about it because he's on a talk show and the people are asking him, "So tell me about this manor house you saw in this vision and you know which is what that the interview is what or, or probably because it's been in the paper or something is what attracts um, Michelle to to track him down, and yet I don't get the the leap. I guess from you had visions to oh we can use this to go and try to help this person. Right. Wait. What? Yeah. Well, uh, I I needed her to have some connection already to the events or something rather than or find out that she's. Maybe a little clairvoyant too, or maybe her last partner, her last clairvoyant partner, got killed, and that that she's doing this. This is her profession. Is like some paranormal investigation service or something. I'll admit, and, and uh, as we're recording this, I literally watched this, uh, finished it <laughs> the night before, <laughs> um, after trying three times, <laughs> and. For the life of me, I couldn't tell you what she did before she met him. Like, I don't know what... And, and again, you go to series, you get to unveil all that stuff. But, I mean... Right. I, I don't know what was her driving force in, in feeling the need to reach out to Tom Kovac after hearing he's seen a manor house. And, like, I don't know where that connection came from. I don't know what she does for a living that caused her to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there's there's pages missing, there's story missing, there's backstory missing. And I, I think it just has to be uh, because the script said so. <laughs> because this is, a, this is an hour and a half, uh, it's a pilot, and we just need to get this done. <laughs> Kind of, because, well, and uh, since we're on the subject of, like, where where did all this come from, too, I, I, I get that he's a race car driver and apparently a decent one. He must win money. Uh, he, he can make a livelihood out of this. But since it's unclear what she does or all that, the old guy in me goes... How are you? Where are you guys getting your money to go even decide to just do these things on a whim? Like, we're just gonna go to England, <laughs> right? To go save somebody we know not who. <laughs> yeah, that's where I wonder what they were thinking. If it went to series, were they just going to uh, he? They were gonna travel the world, uh, racing cars, and just so happen to stumble on a psychic mystery. Is it gonna be like you know, murder? She wrote. <laughs> <laughs> just so happens to be down the street from the track. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because uh, that was even how they set up uh, what was supposed to happen next had they gone to series. is uh, Apparently, whatever he just envisioned happened to be near wherever it was that he was about to race again. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, well, ain't that convenient? <laughs> I was thinking, uh, looking at this 1973, and I was trying to remember any other uh, 
male female kind of mystery television shows or led television shows and when they started and i was thinking that this was fairly forward thinking on that apparently i was a little bit wrong yeah because i the some some of the earlier stuff i mean there was stuff even going back into i guess the 60s but one of the more famous ones what started in 71 with uh rock hudson and uh, mcmillan and wife oh yeah um again for the like the you know NBC Mystery Night movie or whatever it was made for television movies or or series, there's a ton of them throughout the seventies and then by gosh by the time you get into the late seventies into the eighties, you're awash with them. Oh yeah, no, uh, I know. Heart you know, to you heart. got your Remington Steels, Heart to Heart, uh, Moonlighting. You know, <laughs> I either solid married couple or odd couple that will get together. Uh, that that was just staple TV. Yeah, so this wasn't quite as forward thinking as I as I uh, originally envisioned. No, but it involved a Vulcan, <laughs> right? And nor was it um, kind of unique in the fact that they were dealing with the occult and dealing with you know psychic phenomena or anything like that. Because I watching this on Prime as soon as I was finished it, I saw that um, customers also watched, and I went and looked, and there was another made-for-TV uh, movie which I didn't realize was a uh, attempt at a, at a pilot for a series. And it was called like good against evil, I think. Hmm. And it started a man named, um, Dak Rambo is the actor's name. <laughs> no, that's the actor's real name. That's not a stage name. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think that's his name. And it also had Richard Lynch. Well, uh, and it, as of course the bad guy. Sure. And it was all about, um, you know, a, a a virgin who the Satanists wanted to carry the, the Antichrist. Definitely a reaction to the exorcist okay. because there is practically a like scene by scene reshot of an exorcism of a small girl in her bedroom by an old priest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the uh, seventies and eighties were rife with taking what was maybe remotely successful on the, the big screen and trying to adopt a smaller screen version of it. Yeah, and I think definitely think this this is what it felt like. This felt like Exorcist the series is what they were going for. Right up and until it's they even, actually made the Exorcist the series. <laughs> right. This one, I, if you watch this one, it's even put together even more sloppily than Baffled as far as the events as they, uh, as they transpire. Um, also with a very young Kim Cattrall appears. Sounds like we have one of our future shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really weird because I'm watching it and I'm like, well, I've been watching this a while and they don't seem to be wrapping anything up. And then it just, it ends with literally like with Dak Rambo's character uh, and and the old priest driving off down the road to go in search of the, the woman that's been kidnapped and being protected by the Satanists because they can't do anything with her until her love with with the Dak Rambo character is, is destroyed. And I'm like, wait a minute, this was going to be a series. <laughs> and that concludes our, uh, our, uh, our review of baffled. <laughs> <laughs> I put out that we were going to be watching this yeah. and I didn't get a whole lot in the way of responses or anything. Uh, I did. There was one comment, uh, 
Chris over on the uh, Facebook group, he did say that he wished it had at least gone to one season that he could revisit. And I have to kind of agree. I I do, when I got done watching this, it was kind of like, I kind of wanted to see more. I would have liked to have seen a half or a full season. I don't think it could, it would have had the legs to go any more than that. I would have enjoyed it though. You obviously would not. <laughs> yeah, but I, I could see from morbid curiosity perspective of trying it. Like, it, it, it's still Leonard Nimoy, so I would, I, I would go to it going, it's got to get better than this, right? <laughs> and maybe that was a mistake is casting somebody like Leonard Nimoy in the role. He comes off of doing Star Trek, where he's like the Vulcan with the mind powers. And so, yeah, let's do something different. You're a race car driver with mind powers. (laughs) Well, and what was killing me is, like, at one point, uh, the the woman, and it was unclear, the woman that runs the the manor house... uh, Mrs. Faraday. Mrs. Faraday, uh... She herself has something going on related to the things around her, but it's never made clear what or why. Um, yeah, she's apparently like kind of taking the youth from uh, uh, Jennifer, the young girl, which is making Jennifer sort of like mature. Sure, but given the fact that a- after all is said and done, um, it are our, our mystical experience breaks down to literally a a scooby-doo ending where there is nothing and it's just a guy in a mask um yeah but there is still some occult connection i'm not sure why the whole subterfuge with the uh the old lady and it it, yeah the man in the old lady mask and and everything i i yeah i'll admit i'm a little fuzzy on why that was necessary but where i was really uh originally going with this particular train of thought is like uh so the the miss faraday character at one point re- refers to uh leonard nimoy and, and uh and sarah as the 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 young good-looking couple and <laughs> like <laughs> they're in their 30s <laughs> yeah but mrs faraday was supposed to be in her 50s or 60s sure Regardless of your point of view uh, for uh, for Leonard Nimoy all the way around, young and good looking is not usually the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose not. No, I mean, I, character aside, I mean, uh, he, I, he he is a tall, thin, pale man. <laughs> so I'm like, but he seems very personable. Tom Novak seemed like a really great guy. He just seemed like someone that you know you could sit down and t- have a beer with and talk to. He was charming. How about that? I thought he was charming. I, and I really don't want to pick on Leonard Nimoy all, all that much because I really do like Le- Leonard Nimoy and I loved everything he did as Spock through all the Star Treks that he's ever been on. Adding the points to his ears was probably one of the greatest things to ever happen to him because in this show, his his ears stuck out so much <laughs> from his hairdo. It was, uh, it was a little off-putting at times. Like, I'm looking for the points now, and I'm trying not to. 
I am trying to look at watch this movie without putting him in Spock's uniform every minute that I'm watching him, and and the, then they're just gonna leave. They're just gonna leave his his ears hanging out from his uh, his mop hairdo. And I'm like, you're not helping. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this was um, it was the seventies. It was the, the yeah. fashions and the hair and the the clothes were. Yeah, but uh, but no, uh, like uh, all, all the kidding aside about that stuff, though. Um, I mean, you may be right. Uh, if it had time to mature and settle into its own, it may have had some potential. Um, I just found that uh, again because it's a pilot. This is a new group of people thrust together with whatever script that they've got, with what little attempt that they have to get on get on the docket and become an actual series, um, it felt rushed through at certain points. They're just, like I said, I found, especially early on between um, the Tom uh, Kovac character and Michelle, that uh, they were almost talking over each other um, as they're supposed to be having a very fluid, natural conversation where they're discovering one another. And... There's there's no beat even between their words, and I'm like, wow, what is going on here? All right, well, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy this one. I I think it's a fun little watch. Um, yeah. I don't I didn't mind watching it again, uh, and it it'll be a film that I will I'll watch again just for shits and giggles. Sure, no, I, it, it has its campy joy, and one should probably try not to watch it when one is exhausted. But <laughs> yeah, possibly. But yeah, no. I, I again don't hate it. I, I don't hate anything that we watch. Uh, it's just not my cup of tea. All right. Yep. Fair enough. Well, I guess that will probably do it for us. We haven't uh, made final decisions on what we're going to watch and and talk about in a couple weeks, but we will uh, we will do that soon. Uh, like I said, uh, we will look at more. Uh, made-for-TV movies. Um, not all of them will be... I, there's a few out there that I think will be interesting to look at that aren't necessarily, you know, occult or science fiction or anything like that. Um, just some decent drama films, and it, it should be a fun uh, fun little journey. It's nice to take a walk back through the history of these things. Yeah. Another idea I had, and I think this one will be even a little bit more fun, is to do a what I called Mystery Science Theater Unrift. Some of the films that have been covered by Mystery Science Theater will watch and kind of review on their own merits. It's almost like a dare you if you can. <laughs> well, that's just it. Some of them, because I've I've gone back and I've watched a few Unrift, and I think there's merit to some of them. And I, oh no, and, and some were edited a bit. In order to fit the, uh, you know, the the constraints of mystery science theater, and there was important bits and stuff missing because, well, yeah, if they cut that out, they can make this joke, right? But it's in the film, so like, oh, so they cheated a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, making room for commercials and, and bumpers, <laughs> you got. You, you lie, cheat, and steal where you can for those things. But no, I, I love this idea. Uh, when you approached me with it, I, I, I got super excited at it. Because, uh, yeah, uh, there are some of them uh, 
I could see them being very natural to watch and could hold up. And then there are some that are going to be like pulling <laughs> teeth out of the back of your skull. <laughs> well, maybe that's what we'll do in a couple weeks. You want to do that? You want to kind of alternate a little bit? Uh, that, you know, that's that's a good plan. Uh, uh, I like the notion of let, let's, uh, if need be, we can have palate cleansers if some of them get a little, <laughs> little rough. <laughs> right. Well, I think the best one to start with, and this is what maybe get this idea is because I've seen this film a couple times mm. and I actually legitimately kind of like the film. Let's start with their premiere. Is it at least on uh, their comedy channel premiere premiere? They looked at the crawling eye, which is also called uh, the Trollenberg terror. Well, I did not know that. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that would be the one to, to, to do first. It only seems right. If we're going to start the series off, we should start with their premiere movie. Uh, uh, well, and it, it was featured heavily during their o- opening credit sequence for the longest yeah. time. So that's true. That 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 hung in there through the like the second season because that was. Uh, Can I assume you've not seen it unriffed? I have not. I have not. And, All right. I, and actually, I that that's one of the ones where I'd actually be intrigued to sit there and watch it without it, without the commentary. All right, so what we're going to do with that series, we're going to watch it, we're going to review the film on its own merits, and then we're going to throw in whether or not you actually really need the riffs in order to enjoy it. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's it. That's what we're going to do. And I think we'll we'll kind of do that for the foreseeable future. That may end up being kind of our 2021. Um, At least up till October. Yeah, <laughs> I... And I'm sure certain uh, other things will kind of break in if we get an opportunity for any more screeners uh, of films or if something else comes up that we just really want to talk about. Uh, obviously, we'll 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 make allowances. It's it's fluid. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm hoping we get more opportunities like we did in today's show with uh, um, if we can get those opportunities to talk to indie filmmakers and well, God forbid, even even more or less indie filmmakers, uh, but those that are involved in filmmaking in general and and the passion thereof. uh, I enjoyed that, and I'm hoping we get a lot more chances at that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to do it. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening to yet another. This is going to end up being a fairly long episode, Mm -hmm. and I do apologize, but, hey, you know, we're not going anywhere. You don't have to listen to it all at once. If you did, well, I appreciate it. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you know, drop it, drop us at any of those um, any of those methods that are at the top of the show. Uh, obviously, the Facebook group is easiest, but email timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Well, Tom, thanks very much. Uh, I'm glad you had at least fun with the interview. Uh, <laughs> sorry you didn't have fun with the movie. Hey, uh, you watch the movie to have fun talking about it. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later. See Bye. You.